Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Look, people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. C. Is it a V? Is it a U? Maybe it's an L. Or perhaps it's a Z. Or it maybe it's a W or a Nike style swoosh. We keep hearing people to argue about the shape of the recovery, but this whole debate misses the point. The defining question of this market is very simple. Will we have a depression? Anything that makes a depression less likely causes stocks to explode higher. And that's what yesterday's rally was really about. Even as we gave up some of those gains today, I'm calling this a consolidation day no matter what. Dow sinking 391 points, S&P losing 1.05%, NASDAQ dipping 0.54%. When you have a big rally like yesterday and it doesn't give up everything, just because there's a late afternoon sell-off, it's a consolidation. The issue here is not whether we'll have a rapid V or recovery, a slow U. Or we bounce along the bottom, we get the W and we got L shape. I mean, we, we, I don't know. The L, of course, is the house of paint for ages. Lately, the cognoscenti have started talking about the swoosh, no doubt because of the Michael Jordan series, right? Uh, and the recovery starts out strong, but then slows down dramatically. All these people fretting about the shape of the recovery are getting ahead of themselves. Forget the recovery. We need to know the shape of the decline, as in, will it be a really bad recession or a full-blown depression? That's what's on the table. Until last week, the depression scenario was very much the only thing on the table, if not, in my mind, the very likely scenario. Even after the Fed and the Treasury Department moved aggressively and, I think, terrifically to cushion the economy, there was still a real possibility that we were headed for bread lines and massive homeless encampments in major cities. I've got a food line right near me in Brooklyn. It stretches for as far as the eye can see. Yes, while you wouldn't, you wouldn't know it at all from the averages, there's a real chance of the Great Depression redux. Look, whatever's happening here, it's entirely possible that the economy hasn't yet bombed. I think we probably have, but it's not going to shock me if we have millions more layoffs. And I could certainly see the stock market going lower from these levels. Not a question. However, yesterday the market exploded higher because we got several positives that coalesced all at once. Though you sure didn't get that impression if you're listening to the questions the Senate lobbed at Fed Chief Jay Powell and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. Our senators don't seem to believe anything's changed for the better. Some of them were downright rude, I thought. I found the whole testimony a ball of confusion. Given that the Treasury and the Fed have been instrumental in at least stemming the decline, the source of that confusion? None other than the stock market. The opening bell. See, when you study the Great Depression as I have, I, the totally gratuitous thing as I have. I mean, I had to go do that self-aggrandizing. Anyway, if you study the Great Depression, it's almost always framed by the stock market. After the Great Depression of the Great Crash of 1929, stocks just got hammered for years. All sorts of great American companies with incredibly elevated stocks, the RCAs, the Radio Corporations of America, much more than what we have now. That's right. They were much more elevated than now. Went under in no time flat, and even the ones that survived saw their share prices get vaporized. During the Depression, the stock market itself was the fabulous metaphor for the broader economy. It told the tale, and it told the truth about what was happening in real America. They were in sync 
This time it's very different. See, this time the market's much less representative of the U.S. economy. You've got all sorts of huge international companies that are built on fabulous secular themes. The cloud, the Internet of Things, 5G, the data center. And these themes have kept working even in the middle of a COVID-induced economic catastrophe. Many of them actually do better when people are forced to work from home, such as the Kramer COVID-19 index, which will be updated the day after Memorial Day. In case anyone's caring. There was nothing like this in the early years of the Great Depression. I mean, I, I wish people understood. You got to go look at the at the time frame of when people were look are, are were focused on the stock market and on the economy. What they said over and over again was, wow, did you see how bad this stock did? Did you see how bad that did? It, no. Now we just have to focus on employment. Forget the depression. They're not even trading like the, these stocks are in a recession. It's remarkable. Some of them are out and out winners. Facebook, thanks to its newly found embrace of small business. By the way, I think that's a fabulous idea, if you ask me. Microsoft, because of its cloud services division. Apple, because of its service revenue stream. Netflix, because people are desperate for home entertainment. Amazon, because they deliver just about everything right to your door. No mask. No mask. Let's drill down on Amazon for a minute, because it's emblematic of the exact opposite thing of the great stock of the Great Depression people always talked about, the Radio Corporation of America. It's exact opposite. See, in the Depression, there were no Amazons. Instead, we had legions of bankrupt communications and retailing companies, particularly retailers. They didn't have enough shoppers because they were simply, well, there wasn't enough money. But this time, even with 30 million people losing their jobs, we had a safety net, including programs that were put in place after the Great Depression uh, and the government's multi-trillion dollar rescue package. Without the Paycheck Protection Program and the $1,200 checks per person, and especially the massively expanded unemployment benefits, we would be in much worse shape. They didn't have any of that in the 1930s. If this safety net that generated enough demand to boost companies like an Amazon or Walmart, which reported today, it was, by the way, a stellar quarter. Uh, it was number powered by 70% growth in its e-commerce and it, it division. And it's giving you another chance to buy it because it's sold off at the end of the day. So the relative strength of the stock market has obscured the depths of this economic meltdown. Even as the tenth of the country lost their jobs, stocks simply aren't behaving like we're headed for a depression. Still, that was very much the case, at least until very recent. See, in the last seven days, we've gotten some remarkable revelations. First, as the state started reopening for business, we realized that there was indeed a lot of pent-up demand, despite the high rates of joblessness. We heard today from Home Depot and Walmart that business got stronger in May, making it clear that April was the bottom, even as things looked pretty darn bottomless 19 days ago. Second, the price of oil is bottom. Well, I think oil prices are a terrible barometer of the broader economy. Wall Street disagrees with me. And when crude plummeted to negative $37 a barrel, well, that terrified people. Seeing crude bounce back to 32 has given many of these hedge funds a lot more confidence. More importantly, at these levels, most of the oil producers will be able to pay their bills, which is huge for the banks that lent them money. You get big credit card defaults coupled with some oil defaults, and the banks will be reeling, canceling uh, dividends, fighting for the lives. But oil's come back with a vengeance, and the early credit card delinquencies are surprisingly low, which means that, again, unlike the Great Depression, the banking system remains intact, even as I continue to hate the stocks in there. Then when you look over all the debt that's been issued in the last few weeks, a huge percentage of that debt never would have been able to be issued under normal circumstances. No one would buy it anywhere near where the levels it came out, and the companies would have probably gone bust. Hey, come on, Carnival was struggling to survive, desperately trying to find financing, stocked down to aid, offering death rattle terms. Nobody would lend them any money except the Federal Reserve, of course, then promised to buy the bonds of struggling companies. Suddenly, Carnival's bond offering, you couldn't get enough of it. At the same time, every single airline, every one, would have gone under if it weren't for the Treasury Department. They had no business, and they had no business being in business. Without the government, they would have folded with truly catastrophic layoffs that have then extended to Boeing and the 2 million people who work for it in Boeing supply chain companies. The Treasury Secretary saved these companies. And people just say, oh, you saved them. Are you kidding me? That's how you really get into a depression. Even after all these interventions, we still had a lot to worry about. There was one more missing piece of the puzzle. We need to have some hope for a vaccine, not the vaccine, but some hope for vaccine. When you look to the major pharmaceutical companies, they all say next year. That's a long time. But then yesterday, Moderna releases some very preliminary data, very, 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 very preliminary data that suggests that they might have something by early next year or even early late this year. Uh, that gives us hope, although the hope was partially repealed today when people started poking holes in Moderna's press release. Look, I think Moderna was very careful about what they told us yesterday, which was not a lot. But some people blew this extremely preliminary data point out of proportion. And others uh, and then others today, noting that the company sold stock uh, at the opening, 
seem to think that the press release and the subsequent stock sales were both ill-advised. Look, I'm not saying this market's done going down. There's always the possibility we get more sell-offs like we did at the end of the day, and you hear more about that later we go off the charts with the Fibonacci queen. But the bottom line, even if Moderna's vaccine news was blown out of proportion by people who needed need some remedial statistics lessons, and I know that class was hard, so I understand, I'll excuse you, the fact is that we've ta- probably taken a depression off the table. And that's more important than which letter of the alphabet the recovery happens to resemble. It doesn't mean there's not more downside, but it does mean we likely won't be revisiting the March lows uh, because the, of all the not as bad as feared news that permeates the market. How about Darren in Florida? Darren. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Darren. Want, want to give a quick shout out to my pop, to my brothers, AJ and Billy, and my buddies, Ricky and Ryan. But, uh, Jim, I want to talk to you about CRM. Salesforce, amazing company, great track record. I currently own it, and I'm walking a little taller on that spike up today. I'm still extremely bullish on it in the short term, though. Fair value on the stock in the high 190s to low 200s. I want to double my position leading into... No, no, no. Come on. What would Ricky think? That was one of his friends. Um, look, I, don't, I don't want you to double your... You got a really nice run here. I mean, if anything, you know, look, I don't think Mark Benny have cover your ears. I mean, I would rather sell a little than double here. I mean, you got a really great game. And my Chapel Trust owns it. We look at it every day and say we're, we thank our lucky stars it's this high, but we would not double down here. And, um, and, and, and go, you know, just tell Ricky to be cool. All right. Let's go to Michael in California, please. Michael. A great big booyah to you, Mr. Kramer. Oh, John, nice booyah, booyah back to you. Listener. What's up? Thank you for taking my call. I'm a huge fan of yours. Got my DVR filled with Kramer Mad Money. There you go. I'm calling on Clovis Oncology, ticker CLVS. You know, I I have to tell you, uh, I have always liked Clovis. I think it's a great spec, but you got to understand, it's a, I mean, I look like my sister lives in Boulder. I always say, let's go by Clovis. Um, It is a spec, though. So if you put more than a tenth of of your money in this, then, uh, Michael, you shouldn't be DVDing me or what are you you DVRing me or whatever you're doing, because it's it's too speculative and it doesn't make any money. But I do like the idea. Let's go to Ian in Michigan. Ian. Hi, Jim. Here's Ian Weinberg. I put this trade deck in the middle of April for $32 a share. Is it time to take some profit, buy more shares, or hold on? What's, what's the stock there, Ian? Oh, trade deck. I have a longer term, I like trade desk very much, Ian. And I think you even have, I'm going to give you that you have horse sense. Why? Because trade desk is the alternative to Google. It's the way to be able to advertise, get your customers to be able to be wherever they should be all over the web, the Internet, the, whatever. And I think that's a, a really good call. But it is a hard stock for Ian to own. I would have preferred for Ian to say that he liked, say, Netflix. That would have been easier. All right. Here we go. A depression. Well, it, the last couple of days seems like it might be off the table. And that's one of the most important factors in this market. It's one of the reasons why we rallied so hard until Stat put out those Moderna, that Moderna story, which said that what Santa Moderna said, which is that we don't necessarily have anything other than some encouraging data. You know, they're not going to put out a, pe- a release saying we solved COVID. Well, my buddy tonight, you've heard it many times before. Small business is the backbone of the economy. So how are you getting how about some creative uh, under quarantine things that could leave a lasting change. Then I'm going off the charts with a woman who nailed the crash back in February and told us so. What does she think about the current setup? I'm tackling the technicals. And with corporate offices closed due to COVID-19, more people are accessing corporate systems from home. So I'm eyeing ping identity. Find out how it's allowing access while keeping your data secure. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. 
I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. I know you're sick of it. You're sick of hearing that small business is the backbone of the U.S. economy. But just because it's a cliche doesn't mean it's not true. You know why it's true? Because small business spends a lot of money. They spend on hiring, on physical buildouts, on commerce. Big business, on the other hand, has been trying to cut costs for years. With some notable exceptions in tech, larger companies are always trying to trim their payrolls, reduce their expenses. They almost always seem proud of these restructurings code for layoffs because they raise the earnings per share that investors want so badly. Bye, bye, bye. But small businesses don't have public shareholders. They are in franchises or own restaurants or bars or luncheonettes and you know, dry cleaners. They create. However, the flip side of this is that they tend not to be well capitalized. And as we've discovered during this pandemic, most of them are not essential. According to Fed Chief Jay Powell, 20 million people have lost their jobs, and these jobs have overwhelmingly come from small business. If these companies are the backbone of our economy, well, we got a serious spinal injury going. When you see the fabulous numbers from Walmart or Home Depot today, those numbers came at the expense of small businesses that were forced to stay closed. And just because the stock went down doesn't mean the numbers weren't great. Now, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin worked out a plan with Congress to keep people who work for small businesses on the payroll by shoveling money to their employers in the form of forgivable loans. If you don't fire your workers, those loans turn into grants. Full disclosure, my restaurants took money from the payroll protection program, and it's been the difference between closing and staying open. After all, we're not allowed to even have our restaurants open in New York, so why not just shut down? PPP at least gave you a reason for being. It's not talked about enough. Unfortunately, though, I have a nagging feeling that the Paycheck Protection Program is not enough. I'm worried many restaurants won't be able to keep going even after they take the money. The new social distancing rules mean more restaurants are dependent on takeout and delivery. Not enough seats left to survive. Not everybody can make money that way. So does that mean the backbone of America's economy is being ripped out? Nope. It's not being ripped out. But it is shifting away from brick and mortar and towards your house or your workshop or your garage, your apartment. What's happening is people are creating things, making things, baking things, and selling them online in businesses that are powered by Etsy or Shopify or, as of now, Facebook and Instagram. Welcome to the new world of the sole proprietor artist who's selling the kind of handmade goods that can't be gotten at the now godforsaken mall. I know it's still small right now. I'm not trying to blow it up. But in a world of layoffs and quarantine and often heartless landlords who own buildings and therefore don't need the rent money so they don't see a need to cut you a break or because they are owned by REITs who don't want dividends cut, these micro businesses are thriving. They're using Wix to develop websites that look no different from the big boys. They're using Adobe for design and e-commerce. They're using Square at the register and they take PayPal. They can Zoom you a demonstration. I think that's still viable as the economy reopens. But lots of people are still terrified of going to a store. They can flag specials with Twilio. They can get it to you fast via FedEx or Uber Eats or Postmates or Grubhub or DoorDash. Now, this cohort couldn't, uh, can't replace the substantial bar, restaurant, and retail ecosystem that used to be a hiring machine. But it says something that even with brick and mortar struggling to survive, so many new small businesses are springing up online. You want to see your uh, handiwork? Explore Etsy. Scroll Instagram. It's an amazing. It's a celebration of small business creativity unleashed by the pandemic. And it is not going away. Stay with Kramer. Are we finally out of the woods? This market spent the last two months steadily chugging its way higher. After yesterday's phenomenal rally, stocks are now trading like a new normal might be within reach. Or at least they were until 3 o'clock today. But we need to be careful. This is still a very uncertain moment. We don't know if we'll be able to safely reopen the economy without causing a second wave of COVID infections. We don't know when we'll get a vaccine. We don't know how quickly the economy can recover. At times like this, I like to take my, my emotions out of the equation and go with a more quantitative approach. I hope things get better. I obviously thought that we could be heading into a, a severe depression. I fear that they might not get better as fast as many think. We need to put all that to the side, though. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Baroden. She's that brilliant technician who runs the FibonacciQueen.com website and also happens to be my colleague at RealMoney.com. And by the way, Carl Kintony uh, and I both go back and forth on Fibonacci and how important it is lately. The thing you need to know about Baroden is that she nailed the crash. When we checked in with her in early February, she warned that the market was vulnerable to a major downside crash. 
correction. When we spoke to her again in early March, she cautioned that the averages probably hadn't bottomed yet. If you took her advice seriously, you could have sidestepped one of the worst declines in history. So how does she feel about the current setup? All right, take a look at this daily chart of the S&P 500. Broden thinks this is a binary picture. If the big index can break out a bit higher from these levels, she predicts a monster rally. But if it can't mount a breakout, then she's a little less sanguine. First, though, let's jump back to late March because it's a great illustration of how our methodology works. All right, so remember, Broden's called the Fibonacci queen for reasons. She measures past swings, then runs them through the prism of Fibonacci ratios to get a potential price target and timing targets. When she finds a cluster of these important Fibonacci levels, it's often a sign that a stock or index is ready to change direction, so it's a predictor. When the S&P bottomed in March, you had a cluster of Fibonacci price uh, relationships running from 2,165 to 2,194, and we only bottomed at 2,191. Meanwhile, based on the duration of past swings, there were a bunch of Fibonacci timing cycles running from March 22nd to March 26th. We bought them on March 23rd. This is all the stuff that was available in her work. Since then, this chart has turned much more positive. We've gotten a, a series of higher highs and higher lows. We've got a breakout over the five-day uh, exponential moving average. Five-day is the blue. Okay, right there's the breakout above it. On the 30-minute chart, where every tick represents half an hour of trading, Broden's gotten her favorite buy trigger, the ultra-short-term five-period exponential moving average crossed above the 13-period moving average. And there we go. That's what she really wants to see. I know. A little technical. There's just one fly in the ointment. The S&P still hasn't broken out above its 200-day simple moving average, which is currently around 3,000. That's what makes this chart so binary. Broden is concerned that the 200-day moving average could act as a ceiling of resistance, and it might be a hurdle they can't be taken out, and it has to be. Don't get me wrong. She thinks the S&P is a buy right here. There's too much going right in her charts for her to stay anything else. However, she says you should be ready to sell if we fail to break out over the 200-day moving average eventually. Once we get above that level, though, Broden's got some incredibly bullish longer-term price targets, 3720 maybe 4136 Oh, that'd be huge. But if the S&P can't clear that hurdle, if instead it breaks down below the May 14th low at 27.66, well, guess what? All bets are off. All right, talk about the more tech-heavy NASDAQ 100. Hey, here we go. Much cleaner picture. And, and it should be. Remember I told you the S&P 500 is not working as an index. This is the one to follow, or the Kramer COVID index more specifically. Broden points out that the NASDAQ 100 is above both its 50-day simple moving average and its 200-day moving average. Well above. It's already cleared the hurdle that she's kept you know, keeping an eye on the S&P. Her buy trigger on the 30-minute chart has fired. Best of all, she's noticed a pattern in the NASDAQ 100. Ever since the bottom, all the momentary declines in this thing have been pretty similar in both time and price. They last for one or two days, and then the index bounces back. Could be a good day tomorrow. At the moment, Broden thinks the NASDAQ 100 is pointed higher. As long as the price holds above last week's lows at, 88, at 8860, which is down 5% from here, this chart remains bullish. Her next upside target, she could see the index headed for 9,489 and then 9,660. It's got some higher potential targets coming to play. You know, I, 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 I didn't want to mention 11,569. It'd be too outrageous, but it would be a new high. Anyway, what would make her less bullish? Again, if we get a decline below last week's lows, I mean, that just ruins the story. And she'll be watching the 30-minute chart for that 5 to 13 period exponential moving average crossover in the wrong direction. But until then, she expects the NASDAQ 100 to keep heading higher. This is where you should be, people. What about the Dow? All right, take a gander at the daily chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. From Broden's perspective, chart's good, not great. Not only does the Dow have a substantial amount of overhead resistance, it's also below the 200-day simple moving average. Pretty pathetic. While it's still bullish, the Dow is a hurdle to jump, just like the S&P 500, but it's a more difficult hurdle, which makes sense because of its paucity of digital and biotech, and those are the two strongest areas. Think NASDAQ 100, think Kramer COVID index. Broden says you have to be prepared for a breakdown if this thing can't burst through these ceilings of resistance. For now, it's working, but stay vigilant because this picture could get real ugly if it stops working. Finally, let's go to the Russell 2000, the small cap index. Again, this is a very similar setup. Russell's currently in the low 1300s, and it's got a bunch of resistance from 1399 to 1445. There's a resistance still below the 200-day moving average, while, which creates another ceiling. If the Russell can jump these hurdles, she could see it running to 1576 or even to 1953. 
uh, longer term, though. But if that upside breakout fails and the Russell sinks below 1,200, eh, back in the hot water again. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carolyn Baroden, suggest that the major averages are still in rally mode. But it's a precarious rally where you need to proceed with caution if we fail to break out from these levels and slip back to where we were not that long ago. Let's go to Floyd in, I'm sorry, Lloyd in Florida. Lloyd. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I know, Lloyd. Pretty good day. How about you? Uh, doing good. Doing good so far. So let's go to work. A, no problem. I had a question in regards to Aurora Cannabis stock. It fell to $6 and increased all the way to $19 today. I was wondering, is it still a good buy for that stock right, no, right now? This is a controversial story, and I'll tell you why. This has been a major short squeeze. But when I comment on these things that it's a short squeeze, what happens is people get very angry at me. Okay, they say, well, wait a second. I mean, give me a break. It's not a short squeeze. And then if I say uh, because it's short squeeze, that's why it went up so much, they get even more angry. They say, no, it went up because it's really doing great. So my case is that this one has been money's been made and I really don't care what people say. And we know why that is, because I have become after multiple years, Jimmy Chill. Let's go to, hey, it can be Davy Day Trader, although I come with that much better credentials. Let's go to Ryan in Virginia. Ryan. Hi, Booyah, Jim. I want to get your take on Eltria and Philip Morris. Eltria yields over 9%, and Philip Morris yields close to 7%. Given that low, that interest rates are low and many tech valuations are stretched, what do you think about these two stocks? Okay, I made a decision uh, in consultation with my daughters not that long ago, a couple years ago, that I would not recommend these stocks because they feel that it's uh, my job to be able to tell people not to smoke and that it's bad for you. So my answer is they'll have to go to someone else. I want to be nice about it. I'm not trying to be mean, but I made a promise to them. So I don't care for these two stocks. Anyway, the chart suggests we're in rally mode, but one where we proceed with caution. Although I have to tell you that NASDAQ 100, did that look good or what? All right, much more mad money head. One in four Americans works remotely, and more hackers, of course, are targeting home networks. This is even more fun for them. Identity security has become even more critical. I'm eyeing one. I know there's several, but a new one that can help. Then, when a call center becomes the first touch point for a customer, how can you ensure business can continue to run smoothly remotely? I'm calling them contact centers, and I'm talking with the CEO of 59. That's 99999, not the 9 to 5. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Even as we reopen the economy, I think remote work is here to stay. It's been a big theme of the show. Most people who can do their jobs from home will likely keep staying indoors until we get a vaccine, one that works, one that's proven. That's a huge positive for all software companies that facilitate remote work. Think Zscaler, CrowdStrike, Citrix, Okta, 5.9. It's why I will not stop bringing these to your attention. And tonight I've got another one for you. Ping! Three weeks ago, Michael in New York called in to ask about Ping Identity Holdings, a company that came public last September. I said I had to get back to it. Ping competes with Okta in the identity and access management space, meaning they handle login and verification credentials, but they do more. While Okta's stock has caught fire in the past couple of weeks, really kind of been insane, Ping's gains have been a little less explosive. The stock's almost back to where it peaked in February, though it's not making new highs. When Ping reported a couple weeks ago, the results were solid. Guidance for the quarter, a little mix. They pulled their full-year forecast like so many other companies. Could this be an overlooked cybersecurity winner? I'm not sure. Let's dig deeper with Andre Duran. He's the co-founder and CEO of Ping Identity. Learn more about his company and its prospects. Mr. Duran, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, it's great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having us. Sure. Okay, so Andre, it's your first time. Uh, and congratulations on your September IPO. On first time, we'd like to uh, ask our guests to just give a little bit of an overview about what their company does. So tell us about Ping. So, Jim, we are uh, in a space known as identity security. And uh, Ping is focused on helping the largest enterprises in the world, 60 of the Fortune 100, uh, secure both their employees and their customers. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, identity security is all about enabling security irrespective of what device you're on or where you're located in the building, out of the building, it doesn't matter. It's about connecting the right users with the right applications and resources. Uh, For employees, it's about making that really simple. We like to enable uh, one-click access and eliminate passwords entirely if possible. 
allowing workers to gain access to all the applications they need across the cloud, across multi-cloud, across all their legacy environments. And then for customers, it's all about enabling um, digital engagement, personal interactions through the mobile phone, uh, securing that customer information, making it really seamless for them to register, seamless uh, for them to purchase from customers. Uh, it's all about enabling that digital interaction. So we, we help companies and the identity and secure the identities on both sides of the equation. All right, so Andre, this weekend, uh, I'm watching Netflix on a different TV from what I usually do, a brand new Vizio TV that I got at Target. Very excited about it. I have my little, I like, I have the Rhino is my pick, is my emoji for me wherever I go on Netflix. It seems to always know me. It, it always seems to know me. I always think, how does Netflix know me? Is Nef- does Netflix know me because of ping? <laughs> so uh, for Netflix, we are uh, we help Netflix on the employee and partner side, not on the customer and consumer side of their business. Uh, but you might as well say tens of thousands of partners, thousands of employees across even more applications. Uh, we secure all the access to those applications behind the scenes. But I've experienced what you've experienced and have talked talked with Netflix many times about kind of the in-hotel room experience and how we identify. Suffice it to say, they're a world-class company. We're proud to serve them and uh, and looking forward to, to, to more opportunities with them and other companies like them. Well, I mean, so it's, it's more B2B in that sense. But at the same time, like Octa's, the same thing. Uh, I feel like that there is something... In order to be able to have multi-factor authentication, you have to use either, say, Okta or Ping. So what's the difference between if I chose Okta or Ping? So the big difference with us is uh, Ping was born in the enterprise. We've been serving the global 3,000. We protect over uh, 2 billion accounts. All of these large enterprises are, as we say, hybrid by default, meaning they have thousands, if not tens of thousands of applications uh, across a myriad of environments now moving to the cloud. Uh, our scale and performance, uh, we, we have companies that, have, that are doing over 200 billion transactions a day uh, with Ping. We serve 12 of the largest U.S. banks. So it is, a, it is a different market. The hybrid nature of these large enterprises, kind of the mission criticality, the level of control and security they want, it's just a different degree of sophistication. And, uh, you know, Okta was born in the SMB market right. uh, with an all-cloud solution. It's a great solution for that. It's just a different market. But this is an enormous market. Okay, so at the, uh, on your conference call May 6th, uh, you were asked about uh, how long is this the uptick from COVID underway. It turns out that you say that there are a couple customers who either saw this coming or wanted to be uh, in, in remote places. Well, did they just see that maybe there could be a reason why you always wanted a backup? How come you had these big customers do this? We've had a number of companies now uh, who have focused on identity security to kind of free them from the traditional paradigm of enterprise security, which was you have to have all the people and all the applications and all the computers in your building and you can only gain access if you badge into the building and everything was in one place and they would put a firewall between that and the internet and everything mm-hmm. else. The new world is people are everywhere, applications are in the cloud, they're in multiple clouds. And so the question is, how do they secure who has access to what when all the resources, including the people in the applications are not physically in the building or behind the firewall? So the truth is we've been working on this for some time. Identity is the new a perimeter is a saying that we have in the industry, and many of our customers have bought into that concept many years prior uh, as a way to enable not just the remote workforce, but the reality of their enterprises as they become more distributed. So I talked to lots of my customers in the last 30 days, and they all report having been in a great place um, with the rapid shift to work from home because they had been, been investing in this uh, identity security paradigm for the last couple of years. All right, last question. We've been saying that it can be indeed here to stay that there's just so many advantages to it. A lot of people feel that when you get a vaccine or uh, people just go right back to the office, it's a a better way. You're in touch with a lot of people. What do you think? You know, we've done a lot of surveys, talked to a lot of customers. There is no doubt that that there is going to be a new norm coming out of this. And pretty much all things digital life 
interacting digitally, it is uh, on turbo boost right now. And I think a lot of the behaviors and habits and conveniences that are going to come out of this and the innovation which is happening in enterprises is absolutely going to be here to stay. You can't secure what you can't identify. Identity management sits underneath all of this digital transformation, which is now accelerating as a result of COVID. And uh, so it's a good industry to be in, has been for a long time, and, and we really look forward to what the future holds. Well, terrific. I'm so glad you came on and uh, it, all your success since you came public and before then. And it's great to meet you. Andre Duran, CEO of Ping Identity. Good to meet you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Simple as P-I-N-G. Uh, I know people like Okta uh, because it's uh, been on the show many, many times. I want you to look at Ping, too. Ed Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It is time for the lightning round. Here's Let's start with Greg in Pennsylvania. Greg. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Hey, calling from Pittsburgh. I'm looking to see how you feel on a company called Active. Too close to auto. I'm not recommending anything close to auto. I used to like this company very much. I gave a lecture that included a long time ago. But when it has auto, I say ixnay. Let's go to Diana in South Carolina. Diana. Kramer, you're the best. Thank you for making learning so much fun. Question, elastic. Is, is 72 high, too, too high? I don't know. How many companies are enterprise search, data, uh, cloud computing? We have to have them on. There's so many. I mean, like we got Ping tonight. We got, we got, I need to know Elastic better. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask before we opine. Let's go to Larry in New Jersey. Larry. Jim, Philadelphia Phillies, booyah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. We, we can only hope. Hey, have to. on uh, April 9th, you had a great interview with the CEO, Josh James, whose stock has more than doubled since then. So my question to you is, is Domo still a buy? Yeah, that was that it was really cool platform, executive management platform. We like that guy very much. We want him to come back on. The answer I'm going to say is yes. That was, I mean, yeah, we had to catch it at a low in the market. But, yeah, I like the story. Let's go to Andrew in New Jersey. Andrew. Jim, booyah. booyah. How are you doing tonight? First time caller. All right. Love the show. Thank you. Curious what, cur- yeah, love it, love it. Curious love what you think about Dave and Buster's. No, I'm not recommending any of the big, uh, in, uh, let's say, experiential plays involving dining out food entertainment because of the pandemic. Jason in California. Jason. Hey, Jim. How are you? All right. How are you? And, uh, um, talking about tickers, EACC, and subprime auto lenders. No. See, I don't like the auto business, and that includes anybody that finances for it. I I can't get fired up about a business that I think is really in major recession mode. Let's go to Graham in Washington. Graham. Booyah, Mr. Kramer, sir. Booyah. I'm calling you about Athersis. Stem cell. Like it. Biotech. Good spec. How about we go to Mario in California? Mario. Jimmy Chill. Yo. I've been uh, watching the show since college. Uh, I'm in my late 20s now. Um, What do you think about MGM Resorts? I just thought that nobody in college likes stocks and no one picks stocks. I guess that's just someone who brainwashed everybody. MGM, though, is not my fave. And that's because I have sat down and looked at the win plan for opening, which has got a really good academic background and gravitas to it. So I prefer win to MGM. I need Bob in Missouri. Bob. Yeah. Hi, Professor Kramer. I want to thank you for 11 years of nice vacations for me and my wife. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to know, buy, hold, or sell, Dropbox. I thought the last quarter was the breakout quarter. I really did. I thought they really had a good quarter, and they really delivered, and I'm going to say yes to it. Now i got to go to Matt in Illinois. Matt. Jim, your thoughts on Ventus? I Oh, man, that was a tough conference call again. I mean, look, I mean, you know, being in a senior living business at a time that we know uh, where there were major issues in senior living has kept, I think, some people from wanting to have their parents go or having wanting to go themselves. So I think the world of Deb Kafaro, but that industry is not an industry I want to invest in. Let's go to Daniel in Florida, please. Daniel, my brother. 
Hey, Booyah from Florida, Jim. Yes. Long-time listener since the day Facebook was born. Thank you. My question is in regards to Disney. Disney, here's our approach. For the Chapel Trust, I gave a lecture about it last week. I said, look, I'm just going to own it. The Chapel Trust is going to own it because we think that it's a great, iconic brand that's going to get through this. And that's enough. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good. of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. It is time. It's time for the Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It is time for the lightning round. Let's start with Greg in Pennsylvania. Greg. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Hey, calling from Pittsburgh. I'm looking to see how you feel on a company called Active. Too close to auto. I'm not recommending anything close to auto. I used to like this company very much. I gave a lecture that included a long time ago. But when it has auto, I say Ixnay. Let's go to Diana in South Carolina. Diana. Kramer, you're the best. Thank you for making learning so much fun. Question, elastic. Is, is 72 high too, too high? I don't know. How many companies are enterprise search, data, uh, cloud computing? We have to have them on. There's so many. I mean, like we got Ping tonight. We have, I need to know Elastic better. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask before we opine. Let's go to Larry in New Jersey. Larry. Jim, Philadelphia Phillies, booyah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. We, we can only hope. Hey, have to. on uh, April 9th, you had a great interview with the CEO, Josh James, whose stock has more than doubled since then. So my question to you is, is Domo still a buy? Yeah, that was that. It was really cool platform, executive management platform. We like that guy very much. We want him to come back. And the answer I'm going to say is yes. That was, you know, we had to catch it at a low in the market. But yeah, I like the story. Let's go to Andrew in New Jersey. Andrew. Jim, booyah. booyah. How you doing tonight? First time caller. All right. Love the show. Thank you. Curious what? Cur- yeah, love it. Love it. Curious love what you think about Dave and Buster's. No, I'm not recommending any of the big, uh, in, uh, let's say, experiential plays involving dining out food entertainment because of the pandemic. Jason in California. Jason. Hey, Jim. How are you? All right. How are you? And, uh, um, talking about tickers, EACC, um, subprime auto lenders. No. See, I don't like the auto business, and that includes anybody that finances for it. I I can't get fired up about a business that I think is really in major recession mode. Let's go to Graham in Washington. Graham. Booyah, Mr. Kramer, sir. Booyah. I'm calling you about Athersis. Stem cell. Like it. Biotech. Good spec. How about we go to Mario in California? Mario. Jimmy Chill. Yo. I've been uh, watching the show since college. Um, I'm in my late 20s now. Um, What do you think about MGM Resorts? I just thought that nobody in college likes stocks and no one picks stocks. I guess that's just someone who brainwashed everybody. MGM, though, is not my fave. And that's because I have sat down and looked at the win plan for opening, which has got a really good academic background and gravitas to it. So I prefer win to MGM. I need Bob in Missouri. Bob. Yeah. Hi, Professor Kramer. I want to thank you for 11 years of nice vacations for me and my wife. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to know, buy, hold, or sell, Dropbox. I thought the last quarter was the breakout quarter. I really did. I thought they really had a good quarter, and they really delivered, and I'm going to say yes to it. Now i got to go to Matt in Illinois. Matt. Jim, your thoughts on Ventus? I Oh, man, that was a tough conference call again. I mean, look, I mean, you know, being in a senior living business at a time that we know uh, where there were major issues in senior living has kept, I think, some people from wanting to have their parents go or having wanting to go themselves. So I think the world of Deb Kafaro, but that industry is not an industry I want to invest in. Let's go to Daniel in Florida, please. Daniel, my brother. Hey, Booyah from Florida, Jim. Yes. Long-time listener since the day Facebook was born. Thank you. My question is in regards to Disney. Disney, here's our approach. For the Chapel Trust, I gave a lecture about it last week. I said, look, I'm just going to own it. 
And then Chapel Trust going to own it because we think that it's a great, iconic brand that's going to get through this. And that's enough. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I keep telling you that you need a barbell portfolio with stocks that benefit from the pandemic and stocks that benefit from the reopening of the economy. That way you're in good shape no matter how this plays out, including days like today. And when it comes to COVID-19 winners, it doesn't get much better than Kramer Fave 5.9, the cloud-based contact center software play. Their platform allows call center operators to transition to a work-from-home model in just 48 hours, which makes 5.9 essential during this difficult period. While the stock initially crashed from $80 down to the low 50s, along with the rest of the market, it came roaring back since the March bottom. At these levels, 5.9 is up nearly 100% from the lows, and it's close to where it was trading before the crash. The darn thing started making new all-time highs again in April. Now, two weeks ago, 5.9 reported an excellent quarter, and the guidance for the current period was a bit higher than expected. How many can say that? Even if they also lowered their full-year forecast, so it's not total perfection. Still, they are doing very, very well. Can the stock keep soaring? Let's check in with Rowan Trollope. He's the CEO of 5.9. Get a better read on how his company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Trollope, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Good to see you again. Okay, so, Rowan, a lot of people say to me, Jim, it's just a call center. Why are you so excited? I know when you were talking in front of J.P. Morgan recently, you made the point, listen, it's not a contact A contact center is more than a call center. It's how people get in contact. So you just please go through and tell people it's not like 1-800-59. Absolutely, yeah. So we, ha- we make the software that allows com- uh, companies – to, or businesses to connect with their customers, whether that's on digital channels like chat on your website or SMS or, or, or a telephone call. That's really all our software. It's a web-based, uh, it's web-based, so it's very easy for your agents to log in. As you mentioned, that allows agents to work from home very easily. And for a lot of businesses, Jim, today, as you know, their contact center has really become the only front door for, the, for those businesses. You know, there's a lot of companies that I used to interact with by walking in the front door, and I can't do that right now. What do I have to do? I have to call them or message them. And frankly, in a lot of cases, that's a reasonably good, even a better experience in some ways. So that's, that what I, is what I think is driving, frankly, this, this, this rush towards the contact center. Now, you also make the point that not only should everybody be in a, uh, in a situation where they should use yourself for a contact center, that the people you're appealing to are quite conservative. So you, it isn't like you can come in and say, listen, it works a lot of the time. You're offering a reliability that, they, that may exceed what they currently have. Absolutely. You know, the name of the company, 5.9, means 99.999% of reliability. So we're we're really one of the most reliable uh, solutions in the market. People that are looking for, if, if the only front door to your business is your contact center, or if that's really, really important that you engage with your customers, you don't want that door to be locked or to be broken. You need it to be open all the time so that your business can continue to execute. And we've seen, yeah, since the COVID crisis, we definitely have seen acceleration um, you know, of, of, of new companies that are seeing this as an option for them to continue to do business. Okay, so uh, your CFO recently said that there's a, clearly a large portion of the incremental COVID or, uh, orders that are temporary. Now, this was said May 14th, so it's recently. Uh, I'm, I'm beginning to question how temporary they really are. Every, I, I'm starting to see uh, issues like the environment, issues like the infrastructure and how broken down it is, issues about the way people can interact so easily. I'm not so sure this is undone so easily. Do you think everyone's really just waiting to get to the office? No, I think work from here, from home is here to stay, Jim. Uh, we did a survey of our customers. 75% of our customers said that they plan to continue leveraging work from home in a post-COVID world. Only 25% said that they were going to go back to the way that things were. And we asked why. And it's simple. Number one, it's cheaper. Number two, it's more flexible. Agents, you know, working from home get to have more flexible schedules, the ability to pick up their kids from school, you know, all that kind of stuff. So flexible. And, and third, access to talent. If you can access the whole country, uh, you know, not just the place where you happen to build your call center or your contact center, you get access to more talent. And I think... Frankly, this is a a very interesting opportunity for us to put America back to work. I watch your show all the time, Jim, and I know you talk about those unemployment numbers. 
We have 6.9 million contact center representatives uh, here uh, in U.S. businesses, many of whom are offshored. So there's a work from home opportunity here for companies to cost effectively onshore their contact center operations, leveraging work from home agents. And we have an example of that, actually. One of our customers, NextRep, uh, their CEO, Teddy Liao, has done an amazing job. Just since COVID, he has hired 3,000 work from home agents just in the last several months. Now, and that is a good on. story. I mean, other than Walmart and Target uh, and Amazon, I didn't know there were companies that were hiring. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because we do talk a lot to the people who cannot find jobs, who do watch the show and just want to make uh, something better themselves. One of the reasons why I think you can do this is because there is very inexpensive video software, Zoom. Now, since I've seen you last, you've done a partnership with Zoom. How's that going? It's going great. Um, Eric Yuan is a phenomenal leader, and he has uh, really tapped Five Nine to provide his customers with a, an amazing contact center. He himself uses uh, Five Nine internally, so you know their business has boomed, uh, and uh, so they're using it internally and they're offering it to their customers. We're jointly selling uh, Zoom to our customers, Zoom Phone, and uh, and then uh, the Zoom folks are recommending Five Nine. So it's been a Phenomenal partnership. And I just view Eric Yuan as one of the great, great leaders in Silicon Valley today. He, he's a he's a total five niner. I mean, when I sent him an email, I, 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 had him, I asked him if he wanted to join a family brunch within 30 seconds. He goes, what time? I mean, he's obviously a five nine guy who has a great relationship with you. And if people haven't tried you or tried Zoom and then go through you, it is it is like what it used to be where you have service except for you can also see the people. It's really pretty amazing. You brought back service, and it's a great thing. Yeah, that's a big part of our DNA. And, you know, we're, uh, this is a huge opportunity for, for Five9. We're executing, frankly, really well. It's, it is about execution uh, to capture this big opportunity. Um, you know, a lot of folks have been saying that we're one of the few SaaS companies that's considered to be one of these all-weather companies. You know, last time, Jim, you and I were on, we, we talked about the, you know, sort of being a little bit old-fashioned, focused on profit. Uh, you know, we have a 19% EBITDA margin last year, $50 million in in cash flow from operations, all while growing our business, you know, 27, last quarter, 28%. So we have a high-growth business, but we're also profitable. And that's why from the day one, we thought you were the one. It's been terrific. Thank you so much to Rowan Trollope, CEO of 5.9 FIVN. It's why we go out to San Francisco, meet people, and then follow up remotely. Thank you so much, Rowan. Good to see you. Thanks, Jeff. Great to see you. Next on CNBC, one of the nation's top real estate brokers says a tsunami is about to hit the housing market and home prices may take a serious dive. Plus, as work from home becomes more of the new normal, how does that change the face of our cities? And how are children coping in the crisis? And what kind of lasting impact might it have on them all? Well, we got to find out tonight at 7 p.m. with Scott Wapner. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.